Thanks to Third Love for supporting Muller, she wrote. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash AG to find yours today. And thanks to Beta Brand for supporting Muller, she wrote. Beta Brand has the pants to match your style. They have boot cut, straight leg, skinny, cropped, premium denim, six button, and wide leg pants in dozens of colors, patterns, and cuts. Go to betabrand.com slash AG and get 20% off your dress pant yoga pants. And thanks to Legacy Box for supporting Muller, she wrote. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com to get started, and for a limited time, they're offering you an exclusive discount. Go to LegacyBox.com slash AG to get 40% off your first order. This is Sarah Kenzier from Gaslit Nation, and you're listening to Muller, she wrote. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to Muller She Wrote. I'm your host, A.G., and with me today is Amanda Reeder. Hello. Jordan Coburn is taking the day off. Good evening, San Diego. I'm Veronica Corningstone. Tits McGee is on vacation. Jordan and I had an excellent time in New York uh, and we'll be at Politicon this weekend. Our panel is Sunday, October 27th at 1 p.m. And we'll be joined by Jill Wine-Banks, who is also, incidentally, our interview today. So stick around for the end of the show. You're not going to want to miss that interview. She has some fascinating insights on impeachment. So stick around. And then we'll be in Boston November 7th at City Winery. So check us out there. Uh, we do have a meet and greet at Politicon Sunday at 2.15, I think. Yes, in 2.15. The, in the meet and greet area. Mm-hmm. And we, I think we will be putting together, since the Boston meet and greet at the venue is sold out, mm-hmm. I think we're going to be putting together a separate VIP meet and greet at a local... We're going to announce that this week. Cool. On a, uh, We'll announce it on Daily Beans and Muller Shiro Twitter later this week. Sweet. We do that in every city where, you know, when we sell out the, the VIP meet and greet, we'll have a second one at a local Yeah, patrons get first access to that. So yep. we'll get just a small space and um, we'll put it out the day before to our Patreon subscribers. And so it might sell out. Uh, but if you want to make sure that you meet us in Boston, become a patron. Yeah. Patron, Patreon.com slash The Daily Beans. And... Oh, sorry. Or Muller, she wrote. Muller, she yeah, wrote. Yeah, it's, it's the same link. Two shows in one. And yeah. We record two shows on Sunday. Also, start looking for this. Um, coming toward the end of the year, we're going to move the beans, the Daily Beans, off of the Muller, she wrote feed. You're on the Muller, she wrote feed right now. And the Muller, she wrote episode that we record on Sundays is going to be the Daily Beans for Monday morning. So because right now we're trying to record two episodes and trying to make them different, that just seems repetitive and weird. So I just wanted to let you know that uh, that's probably going to come. And this is also for my mental sanity, because writing two shows uh, on the weekend is yeah. very uh, mentally taxing. And we get a lot of really lovely comments, which are like, hey, G, take a day off. Take, yeah. take a rest. So I'm taking your advice. I'm the- going to take a show off. Uh, but you'll you'll still get... Um, you still get Muller She Wrote on Sunday night, but then what we record Sunday night is going to go out Monday morning for the Daily Beans, so on a different feed. So make sure you're subscribed to both feeds. And let's see, what else? Um, uh, let's see. Oh, 
yes, Boston. I want to talk about Boston for a second. It's our last show of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, th- I, I can't wait to see you guys out there. Uh, we haven't really had a show since Seattle Seattle so mm-hmm. it's been a minute so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm really looking forward to it if you haven't been to one um, it's it's really great it's not just the show it's the the whole community and you get to meet people and, and hang out and if you awesome. do have a meet and greet ticket for the venue mm-hmm. and you're a patron and you want to come to the second meet and greet you can come to both totally you have first access to purchase those tickets so yes it's a separate uh, admission for the uh, meet and greet, which is not at the venue. Yeah, because if you, you it, one doesn't get you into the other, but you can come to both if you want. Totally. We'd love to see you there. And uh, there's a lot of news today, but before we get into it, it's time for my favorite segment, Corrections. It's a mistake. It's hard for me to say I'm sorry. Oh, I made a mistake. <laughs> All right, so from Barbara Cohen, Caitlin Farrell, Sancho, uh, Andy Lapata, Teresa Timlin, Merrick Garland is not on the Second Circuit Court of Appeals. He is on the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. The Second Circuit serves New York, Vermont, and Connecticut, and the D.C. Circuit Court has appellate jurisdiction over the U.S. District Court for the District of Columbia. Two separate courts. I, for some reason, just hmm. was talking like D.C. Circuit Court was under the Second Circuit. So no. they're Separate. Separate. Gotta keep them separated. Uh, Cindy Baxter, Mimi Fisher, and Antonia uh, Marinova say it's not Igor, it's Igor. So, okay. Um, I I think that was more, I was just, you know, how I call Mnuchin Steve. I think it was more of an insult, Igor, and also from Young Frankenstein. Sorry if your name is Igor. Yeah. No, I'm, yeah, it's not you. I'm not Igor shaming. Uh, I'll I'll really try my best to do Igor uh, and... I promise. It's like it's like my uh, thing was was saying the Ukraine versus Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I'm really trying to be a hundred percent about that. It's just very, it's different to always have to you know go from being a comedian where you can say whatever the fuck you want to having mm-hmm. to like actually think about your words and how they impact people. So I'm working on it. So just let me know, gentle, and send me a sandwich, and we'll, we'll take care of it. Ruth Greenwood wanted to let us know when we said Republicans weren't good with axioms when Bolton called Julian a hand grenade. We probably meant idioms. Good point. Mm, yes. Um, Kirsten Zolfo, uh, she says, this really isn't a correction, just some info to answer a question Jordan asked in Other Crime Downtime episode. Jordan wondered why sometimes um, something sensitive from uh, Fiona Hill would be taken uh, to Pat Cipollone. Short version, the White House counsel is supposed to be different from the president's personal attorney. They are supposed to advise the entire White House and all the staff. And per lawfare, quote, the lawyer has a special responsibility for legal and ethics compliance within the West Wing. So that's why you would take it to the crimers is because they aren't supposed to be the personal lawyer for the president, even though they are acting like it. But that's why Fiona Hill would have gone to Pat Cipollone. Hmm. Alice Hamilton says astrology has been used to kill people. Roman emperors used to read advisor star charts, and if it was unfavorable, they would execute them. It was also used to predict who would be the most likely to succeed in a political challenge against the emperor, and those people would be murdered. It is not sexist to criticize astrology. Enjoy it for fun, but many will always find it very jarring to watch such a large group of people accept accept something that is scientifically unsubstantiated. That mentality is scary. I love your show. So it, it was kind of a really pointed correction, but it ended up with saying something nice. So Yeah. Also, I was just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't being super serious. <laughs> My point was uh, basically, just as a quick interjection, that uh, a lot of people need a little something, you know, whether it be organized religion or something spiritual, because the world is a giant trash fire. And um, for a lot of people, especially LGBT people, we turn to um, 
spiritual schools of thought which accept us more than mainstream Christianity does. And so that, that's kind of just what I was saying. I, I, of I course, spoke at Sunday Assembly this morning. Yeah. That was awesome. Yeah. It's like a secular sort Absolutely. of I love church. Sunday Assembly. I love it Sunday Assembly. Rad. I'm not super serious about astrology. I'm not that hardcore about it. I love science. I've gotten, I've got a few tweets about that. So like <laughs> I was, <laughs> I, I can be a little dry, but uh, I, I, I wasn't being super serious about it. <laughs> totally get it. Uh, but Point well taken. Yeah, totally. Philip Garreau, I'm sorry if I'm butchering your name. Uh, this isn't so much of a correction as an explanation on why the plural of moose is not meese or mooses. <laughs> moose is a loan word, a.k.a. a word English stole from another language. Oh. And this loan word happens to be new enough that English didn't fully butcher it. Moose entered English in the 1600s. Goose to geese comes from Old English, where we would pluralize things by changing the vowel sound like tooth to teeth. Uh, I put a more in-depth source on the website. So thank you for that. I love etymology. I know, me too. Away with Words is such a great podcast if you're not. Martha Barnett, hi, and I I love you guys. Um, Courtney says, I'm an ex-Mormon atheist. I was in church, the church from birth and even graduated from BYU, but I've never heard of the White Horse Prophecy. Also, the notion that you get your own planet is not actually something Mormons believe. Uh, I was never a believer, but the misinformation about Mormon beliefs is a pet peeve, especially because if you think about any religion critically, aren't they all weird? Uh, there's so much to criticize about Mormonism, but uh, be sure it's something they actually believe. Gotcha. Roger that. And that's why we ask, because, mm-hmm. you know, I, without being actually in the religion, mm-hmm. I can't know unless I like watch documentaries and like really fully read up on it and also listen to you guys. So thank you for that. Um, Anonymous uh, wrote us and said Sunday's episode. Roy Blunt Jr. is a humorist and frequent panelist on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Roy Blunt is a senator since 2011. No relation. <laughs> I think I called Roy Blunt the Senator Roy Blunt Jr. because I listened to more Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me than I listened to Republicans. Um, Blair McKinnon, you indeed have a listener um, from Halifax, Nova Scotia, who was a little terrified by Woody the Talking Christmas Tree at the worst named shopping mall of all time. Have fun with your mom, Amanda. Uh, Amber Davidson um, on the October 14th Daily Beans, AG said Minnesota was her favorite city. Minnesota is a state. I meant Minneapolis uh, when we were in Minnesota uh, then we were talking about the show and I said that's my favorite city I failed to or Minneapolis if you're Trump Minneapolis <laughs> what did he say Minneapolis Minneapolis <laughs> <laughs> something ter- something wrong it's hard to say it wrong it's Minneapolis uh, Jennifer Blackman uh, hi I have a correction for a correction this week on Mueller she wrote there was a correction that said we don't need 67 senators to convict Trump in the Senate that's true the Constitution said two-thirds of those present but it's not true you could do it if three senators were there uh, the Senate has quorum rules. Coincidentally, I read this article this morning. So I think you have to have 51 senators to have a quorum. Uh, those are corrections. If you have any, just head to MullerSheWrote.com, click contact, select corrections, and build us a compliment sandwich. We will read them on the air, so let us know if you want to remain anonymous. We will get it right eventually. Uh, we do have a ton of news to get to, so let's jump in with just the facts. Oh, if Jordan was here, her boyfriend Nunez is back, ex-boyfriend back in the news this week because during a closed door impeachment hearing one of the depositions he brought up the steel dossier and uh, that some of its contents dealt with ukraine and that the clintons paid for it um the source for this who was in the hearing referred to nunez's remarks as nutso and awkward and the source added that sundlin the american envoy to the eu appeared puzzled and perplexed by nunez's commentary (laughs) Uh, As you know, the dossier is at the crux of the GOP argument that the intelligence community conspired to take down Trump as some deep state coup. 
Uh, and during his testimony, Sundland seemed to flip on Trump, but didn't quite, and told the committee that Trump directed him to send the no quid pro quo text to Volcker and Bill Taylor. However, his testimony seemed to protect Trump more than out him. Uh, Marcy Wheeler notes this, uh, that his lawyer is the same guy that helped Carl Rove talk his way out of crimes in the Valerie Plame case. Uh, first, he would not admit that Trump directed him to muscle his way into Ukraine policy, even though he's the EU ambassador uh, and Ukraine is not part of the EU. Instead, he seems to implicate Giuliani and blame Pompeo, even though we know uh, statements and text messages to Bill Taylor were to avoid leaving a paper trail. Bill Sundland testified that they were not, and he thought the quid pro quo wasn't illegal. It was all cool, very very legal, very cool. And those are both lies, and I think he should go to jail for them. Uh, and Bill Taylor, incidentally, will be testifying this week uh, as Bill Barr's investigation into the origins of the Mueller probe continues. And we'll have more on the oranges of the Mueller probe later in the show. But Bill Taylor is who I've been wanting to hear from since yeah. since before we knew he was going to testify. He's the one who was like, I think this is crazy. Mm-hmm. You can't withhold White House meetings and military aid for help with your political campaign. Some illegal shit. Yeah. When's he testifying? Uh, Tuesday. I'm excited. So, yeah, I, that'll be interesting. And we seem to get, I don't know if I'd call them leaks, but we seem to get briefings like public, uh, you know, journalism briefings after these testimonies happen mm-hmm. we seem to sort of get the long and short of it and i don't know how that's controlled or not uh, you know if it is or if we should be getting this information or if we shouldn't or mm-hmm. if there is stuff that we're not getting yet because i know that there are there's some stuff that uh, at least adam schiff is saying you know we, we're we this doesn't get to go public yet this is an investigation it's a private investigation yeah. and, and that's what the that's what impeachment is the house acts like the grand jury not the trial so there shouldn't be cross examinations and you know you don't get quote unquote due process during an investigation you're being investigated yeah it's an investigation so (laughs) chill out um but i mean and i talk a little bit about this with um jill wine banks later in the show but they've always said that even with the grand jury with Mueller's grand juries that i can't remember the wisconsin um guy's name but he he when questioning Mueller, he was like well why were there no cross-examinations during the grand jury and he's like what what? It's not how that, that's not how it's not SVU goes. <laughs> uh, that's that happens in a trial, oh, yeah. <clears throat> not the investigation part. Um, and from Reuters this week, Russia and the United States are gradually resuming cooperation on cybersecurity, according to the head of Russia's FSB, Federal Security Service, Alexander Bortnikov. According to Bortnikov, they're restoring the cybersecurity relations with the U.S. in the wake of Russian-U.S. relations being strained by issues, including U.S. allegations that Russia hacked the 2016 presidential elections. So I don't know if this has to do with, remember when Trump came out and said, well, you know, when I think it may have been in Helsinki, but he said, you know, I talked to Putin and we're going to work on cybersecurity together. And yeah. everyone went, what? Let's not fucking do that. <laughs> <laughs> do you know anything about this Bortnikov dude? Uh, just no, other than he's the head of uh, the FSB, Federal Security Service. Uh, I've I've heard his name before. but um, Seems unwise for us to work with Russia on cybersecurity. Uh, ah, yeah. yeah. I'm curious, I, I, again, like like you said, all, all roads lead to Putin. So I'm, I'm curious, I, I, it, it would surprise me very little mm. if this guy was just, you know, a, a, one of Putin's dudes trying to work with the U.S. to help us Putin. shit all over our own election. <laughs> Putin's dudes. Putin's dudes. You know? That's like a weird band. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, that's what I first thought when, when Trump said that, you know, we're going to get together and work on cybersecurity. I'm like, are you going to let him into our State Department and our, right? you know, our FBI mm-hmm. and our CIA and our NSA? Rad, dude. Um, 
cool. I mean, he gave Bill Barr the keys to the kingdom when he said you can pretty much declassify anything. And, mm-hmm. and so I, I don't really trust this Department of Justice at all. Uh, but yeah, I'm I'm interested to know more about the inner workings of what the cybersecurity program is between the United States and Russia. Uh, <laughs> because what are we doing? Uh, because right now what we need is protection from Russia. Uh, so I feel like we should be working with other countries. It it also it feels a little bit like the if we do it out in the open, it's less obvious. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could rob a bank in broad daylight. It's not illegal. Yeah. Uh, And in a new book by New Yorker writer Ronan Farrow, he reveals that American Media Inc., that's the parent company of the Inquirer, shredded sensitive documents about Donald Trump that had been kept in Pecker's safe right before he was elected. Uh, We've talked about Pecker's safe many, many times. Um, It was Dylan Howard, actually, the editor-in-chief of the Inquirer at the time, that directed a staff member to, quote, get everything out of the safe. We needed to get a shredder down there. Uh, That order apparently came the same day a Wall Street Journal reporter called the Inquirer to ask for comment on the $150,000 payment to Karen McDougal to keep her quiet about an affair she had with Trump. They paid her for her story and then killed it. That's called Catch and Kill. And that's what Ronan Farrow's new book is called, Catch and Kill. As it turns out, the safe was actually kept in the office of the executive editor, Barry Levine. Uh, And according to the book... An Inquirer employee said that there was a larger than customary amount of trash that was collected that day. Apparently, there was a a master list that Dylan Howard had compiled of all the dirt they had on Trump over the decades. And after the election, Cohen asked the Inquirer for everything they had on Trump. You know, that's part that's what a fixer does. Right. Mm -hmm. And one of the employees found that the master list didn't match up with the physical files in the safe because some of the materials had gone walkies, as Matta would say. And according to Jerry George, an Inquirer journalist, journalist, uh, Pecker killed perhaps 10 fully reported stories about Trump and nixed many more potential leads. And an AMI spokesperson has said that Mr. Farrow's narrative narrative is driven by unsubstantiated allegations from questionable sources and that the stories are completely untrue. So So they were they were working with him for for quite a while, for a long time, catching uh, the, the Inquirer. With Trump? Fr- yeah, friends with Trump for a long time, yeah, been catching and, and killing his stories for a while. Not only that, mm-hmm. um, but they'd also been keeping dirt on him. <clears throat> so, you know, yeah. but mostly in this kind of catch and kill arena, because Pecker mm-hmm. and, and Trump have been friends for ever, mm-hmm. like three decades or something. And so I think that what happened is once, you know, a couple days before the election, and when that call came in from the Wall Street Journal to ask about the $150,000 catch and kill with Karen McDougal, Pecker was like, oh, shit. Uh, and Dylan Howard, who, mm-hmm. you know, was he's always up there on my radar for fantasy indictment draft, <laughs> said, oh, we have to destroy this stuff. Yeah. Not because, it be, well, because he's our friend and now he's going to be president. And I think they were more about protecting Trump than just having dirt on him and being yeah, yeah, able yeah. to control him. They were like, better us have the dirt than someone else. Yeah, I think that's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and also, if we have the dirt, we can catch and kill the stories. Yeah. Right? So, anyway, I thought that was interesting. Interesting, yeah. Especially because we know that, you know, they signed a non-prosecution agreement, uh, AMI did, mm-hmm. um, it, with the in the whole catch and kill story when it was in the Southern District of New York. Now it's with Cy Vance in the Manhattan DZ, DA's office. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... I don't know what happened to that non-prosecution agreement because they, you, you, if you sign a non-prosecution agreement, it it only is good for you if you stop doing crimes. And they extorted <laughs> Bezos with the help of Saudi Arabia mm-hmm. with That's the right. with the photos of his um, uh, Lauren Sanchez, who was his uh, 
affair, right? you know, his mistress at the time or whatever. And Bezos just came out on Medium and said, I'm having an affair. Here's all the stuff. They're trying to blackmail me and I'm not going to let it happen. And my, you know, super security guy is is finding out that a lot of this could have come from Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And Inquirer worked with Saudi Arabia and Trump to put out these like pro-Saudi Arabia propaganda magazines and stuff. So it's just like... How did you have that non-prosecution agreement signed in September and then do this extortion after that and then like still somehow have a non-prosecution agreement? But then Barr comes in and Mm -hmm. he's appointed and then that whole investigation stops in the Southern District of New York. And I don't know if that mean if that meant that the investigation into AMI and Inquirer also stopped at that point. But, you know, uh, I know that Manhattan... DA Cy Vance is now looking into it with mm-hmm. the major crimes unit. I think it's called the major crimes unit. Do you think Bill can Bill Barr shut that down or is that that's a state crime? It's state. Right. So he can't. Okay. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. All right. We'll be back with more headlines. Hey, it's AG, and I want to tell you about my new favorite bra by a woman-owned company called Third Love. I'm obsessed with these bras because they managed to find my perfect fit using millions of real women's measurements and taking into account cup size and shape for an impeccable fit and an incredible feel. Third Love is the industry leader with 80 sizes, which include their signature half cup sizes because about half of women fall in between cup sizes, me included. So it was virtually impossible for me to find a bra that fit until I found Third Love. And it's such a time saver. Just hop online and take their 60-second Fit Finder quiz, order your bra, and try it on at home so there's no more driving to the mall, parking, being chased around a store by a lady with a measuring tape, and then being abandoned in a dressing room with a box of 40 bras that don't fit you. But not with Third Love. They have fit stylists available every day to help via chat, text, or phone. It's just truly an amazing company with an impeccable customer service. Over 14 million women have taken the Fit Finder quiz, and Third Love has the perfect fit promise. You have 60 days to wear it, wash it, and put it to the test, and if it's not the perfect fit, you can return it, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a person in need. This is hands down the most comfortable bra you'll ever own. My straps don't dig, there's no itchy tags, it's lightweight, and they have a super thin memory foam cup that molds to your shape, and it's proprietary to Third Love. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they're offering our listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash AG now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash AG for 15% off today. You'll be glad you did. All right, welcome back. Uh, We have more crazy headlines this week about Rudy Giuliani. First, we learned that there's now a counterintelligence aspect to the federal investigation into Rudy. We found out through a lawyer named Kenneth McCallion, who was approached in February or March by FBI counterintel agents and was asked if he or any of his clients knew anything uh, about dealings with Lev and Igor and Giuliani. And as it turns out, some of the FBI agents and prosecutors handling this case come from the same public corruptions unit that nabbed Cohen. Uh, And this investigation into Giuliani is still ongoing. We know because former Congressman Pete Sessions was subpoenaed and must testify to the grand jury. And this is the same grand jury that issued the Parnas and Fruman indictments. Uh, And grand juries aren't supposed to continue to hear witnesses if the charges in a case have been filed already. So Pete Sessions is the congressman that received millions, three million, I think, from the Trump PAC named in the indictment that that Levin Igor made straw donations to. We should mention they made a $325,000 donation. Mm. And we should mention it's Brad Parscale, Trump's current campaign chair that coordinated the PAC. So Sessions also wrote a letter to Pompeo complaining about Marie Yovanovitch, the former ambassador to Ukraine, who was removed by Trump. So that's interesting that Sessions, Pete Sessions, would have anything to do with that after receiving $3 million. Hmm. That sounds Hmm. to me like you're lobbying on behalf of Ukraine. Interesting. Hmm. Uh, And according to the Washington Post, Giuliani privately urged Trump to extradite the Turkish cleric Gulen. 
Now, Turkey has been demanding this guy for years because they want him to stand trial on charges of plotting a coup against Erdogan in 2016. And Rudy is not the first person to lobby Trump on behalf of Turkey to extradite Gulen, specifically. Flynn and Bijan Rafikian, also known as Bijan Kian, also tried this. And Flynn was offered $15 million to kidnap him and fly him away in the night. Uh, and Bijan Kian is now in prison. Uh, for lobbying on behalf of Turkey without registering as a foreign agent. Flynn would be, too, if he didn't make a deal with the feds, which he's currently in the middle of blowing up. And I can't help but wonder if there are superseding charges coming down for Flynn, and that's why Gulen and Giuliani are being brought up in the news right now. Either way, we can most certainly add FARA violations to Rudy's list of charges because he's lobbying not just on behalf of Ukraine. Yeah. He's lobbying straight, strictly on behalf of Turkey yeah. in, this, in this situation. And, and, and he did it with that uh, Reza Zarab uh, thing, too, where he tried to get Tillerson to drop the charges on that guy. Yeah, yeah. And where, uh, and my apologies, where is Gulen? He, I know he's 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 not in Turkey anymore. Where is he now? I think he lives in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. So he's here in the States. Yeah. Oh, yeah. he's oh. here. I was yeah. like wondering if he was somewhere else in Europe. Okay. Okay. So the guy who helped organize the coup against Erdogan is in the States now. Yeah, but he didn't help organize the coup against right. Erdogan. It's just who he's blaming. It was like when Putin blamed Hillary for the gotcha. protests in 2020. I, I, I know that there was an uprising in 2016 in Turkey, but I didn't know the names of all the players, so I wasn't exactly sure. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> A, a, a side note, uh, a slight tangent: the way that Erdogan um, ousts uh, journalists or or anyone who disagrees with him uh, from any mainstream conversation in Turkey is particularly terrifying. Yeah, and then we have to think that it was Turkey where uh, Khashoggi was dismembered, mm -hmm. exactly, um, and uh, you know, on, which was ordered by uh, Mohammed bin Salman, we mm -hmm. call Mohammed bin Salman exactly. in Saudi Arabia, and and Sorry. our intelligence communities have said that with high confidence, and Trump still says he's really that. pals with a bunch of. Not free speech loving dudes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We call them traitors to the crown in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Um, that if, you're, if you're a free speech loving dude. And in fact, Khashoggi was extradited mm -hmm. from, uh, not extradited, uh, exiled from mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia because his, of his negative views on Trump. Was it Adam Schiff recently? I, was it when the, uh, right after the impeachment inquiry was announced, was it Adam Schiff who was like, you know, we want to bring justice to Khashoggi? Yeah, I yeah. Think so I'm I'm glad that's not being forgotten about. Is all yeah. I'm saying, like in the mix of everything that's happening. It's just so much to keep up on. Yeah, you know? uh, it's in there somewhere. It's in the mix. Uh, and Trump obstructed justice again last week in the Southern District of New York when they indicted Turkish Hulk Bank for a money laundering scheme that smuggled money to Iran to skirt U.S. sanctions on Iran. This was the scheme that Zarab was involved in. I just mentioned him. Mm -hmm. for, uh, uh, and Zarab is the guy that Giuliani pushed Tillerson to stop the investigation into, indicating Rudy was lobbying illegally for Turkey then, too. Uh, but the bank wasn't indicted then because Trump, Erdogan and Barr were trying to work out a settlement agreement. Erdogan repeatedly raised the topic with Trump on many phone calls, including a November 2018 phone conversation. And Trump told Erdogan in April of this year that Barr and Mnuchin, Steve, would handle the matter. Hey, handle the matter. Uh, well, the Southern District filed the criminal charges without giving the White House advance notice on the matter. No one can figure out what prompted the indictment or why they're doing it now. Uh, after over a year, I mean, I know that the crimes prompted the indictment, but if they just went straight by the crimes, they should have been indicted a while ago. Right. Uh, it seems to me it was in defiance of the White House, this indictment and the Department of Justice, uh, who, unless we hear about other communications showing, you know, Barr and Trump told Erdogan they'd handle it to appease him, knowing full well they'd indict the bank. I, I doubt that'll happen. Uh, and our instincts were correct, by the way, about Barr's trip to Italy. Beans come true. Beans come true. Trump sent him there to find a deep state plot involving Mifsud. But the Italian government has determined that its intelligence community had no connection to the Maltese professor. 
that offered Papadopoulos and the Trump campaign dirt on Hillary in the form of stolen emails. Uh, Why were the Italians even looking into that? Well, because Barr had asked Italy to aid the Justice Department in his investigation into the investigation. Uh, The idea being that Mifsud was an Italian intelligence operative used by the United States CIA or the FBI to entrap the Trump campaign by pretending to act like a Russian agent and offering to share information about Russia's efforts to tip the election in Trump's favor. This is just one of several efforts by Trump and his lapdog Barr to discredit the grounds for Mueller's investigation with the ultimate goal of raising doubt that Russia meddled Mm -hmm. in our election so that Trump can lift those sanctions. Another conspiracy theory is that the the DNC hacked servers in Ukraine, which is part of the quid pro quo in the current Ukraine scandal. When asked Wednesday about Barr's meeting in Italy, Trump said he was unaware of the details, just that he knows we're looking into corruption (laughs) for the 2016 election. And Barr's trip to Italy... Uh, was with Durham, that's the U.S. attorney investigating the investigation, uh, but Barr is closely overseeing it, and they did go there to request information from the Italian government about Mifsud. Papadopoulos has been saying that Mifsud was part of the Obama administration. Uh, well, the Italian government says no. So they said, we looked into it for you, and no. I wonder what they pressured him with. Can't believe we're wasting taxpayer dollars for Barr to fly to Italy to dig up dirt on bullshit. And Australia, and yeah, China. all over the world. And Ukraine. Yeah. And especially because, like, we're, I mean, I I know you said why I understand why that they their ultimate goal is to get the sanctions lifted, you know I, I I understand that, but their their method, the big picture route that they're doing to do this, it's just it's ridiculous. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, and that Barr would even participate in it because yeah. when Barr came on board, that's uh, your attorney general. The girls at Gaslit Nation, I'm sure the women at Gaslit Nation were like. Don't trust him. And I'm like, ah, he's an old institutionalist. I was kind of taking Chuck Rosenberg's word for it. Right. He worked with him in the past. Mm-hmm. Other people were like, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a butthole, but like he's not like a Giuliani level butthole. And now to find out that he's literally all their time is not focused on actual corruption mm-hmm. in the United States. It's going around the country to try to plant conspiracy theories so that Trump, Trump can lift sanctions mm-hmm. on Russia, specifically on Russia. And that's where those that's why all roads lead to Putin was a thing. Uh, And we'll talk more about that Mm -hmm. a little bit later. But speaking of Durham and the investigation into the oranges of the Mueller probe, that inquiry is broadening as FBI witnesses are now being questioned. Uh, And as an aside, this really pisses me off, just like what you were saying. They're questioning the hardworking men and women of the FBI based on conspiracy theories written by Putin backed Ukrainian criminals for Tosh uh, who are currently wanted in the United States. And that, and that we're interviewing our own FBI agents over this. But this investigation is led by John Durham with Bill Barr closely overseeing it, as I said. And it's focused on former investigators that are the favorite targets of Trump. Uh, and what's totally shitty here is that they're asking witnesses um, pointed questions about who they voted for and if they have anti-Trump bias. Um, that seems really like super fascist to me. And so far, they, they've interviewed about two dozen former and current FBI officials, though they haven't yet questioned McCabe, Strzok, Comey or James Baker. And I, I really have to say, and, I, you know, I've talked to a lot of uh, former FBI, former CIA saying to sit there and be asked what who you voted for. And if you have political bias is, is unprecedented. I mean, Trump did it with McCabe. When, yeah. You know, he brought him and said, who'd you vote for? Your wife's a loser or whatever. But to to continue this right now through our Department of Justice, yeah. to asking agents who they voted for. It, it also affects the rest of their career. You know, these people are supposed to be apolitical and it, it's harmful to their future career to admit these things. It, it, and and. 
private citizens are allowed to have private political opinions, you know, unless they're unless it's come to light that they're doing their job improperly, like you're criming. They're going to find evidence against your criming who they voted for is irrelevant. Well, and the DOJ inspector general did a whole big interview yeah. uh, investigation into Struck and Page and the mm-hmm. texts and all that shit and found, yeah, they had a lot of, you know, biases mm-hmm. toward Bernie, Trump and Hillary. Mm-hmm. But found ultimately that none of those biases informed their work. Right. That their work was fine. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's what's going to come out of this investigation, too. There are, otherwise, mm-hmm. they're just going to have to make shit up. They're trying to indict McCabe, and yeah. the grand jury won't come back with it. Yeah, it's one thing to like post stuff you know, publicly with your political opinion, but you're allowed to have a private political opinion as, as a member of the American intelligence community. And you're right, it is really fascist that he's doing this. Yeah, and I mean, there are Hatch Act rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, which Trump actually modified to say you can't say anything bad about Trump instead of you can't say anything bad about a political uh, mm-hmm. candidate for office. He put his name in there. Um, <laughs> just what a dick. Uh, and so, you know, y- y- there are rules. Uh, if you're SES or if you're GS, if you work for the federal government, there's certain mm-hmm. things you can say. There's certain things you can cannot say. There's certain things that you can't say during a certain time of day. There's, you know, it's... But to suggest that, y- that you fundamentally can't do your job properly unless right. you are a, a, a Trump supporter. Yeah. And all these people, I guarantee you, follow their, follow their rules. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to train on them every six months. So, yeah, it's it. We know what they are. The White House doesn't follow them, but we do. <laughs> Uh, I mean, they do. Uh, One thing, one thing people familiar with the interview say uh, Durham is asking why struck open the investigation on a weekend, suggesting that's out of the ordinary. So it must be a coup. Um, Former officials say McCabe directed struck to travel immediately to London to interview the Australian diplomats that Papadopoulos told Russia was going to help. Uh, meanwhile, like I said, Horowitz is conducting an inspector general investigation into the FBI's actions in the Russia investigation. And I assume it's going to sound just like the Comey and Strzok IG report mm-hmm. um, where, you know, they acted badly, but nothing illegal. No bias affected their work. No criminal behavior, et cetera. Uh, Durham. And it, honestly, if a criminal referral is made like it was in the case of McCabe, a grand jury is not going to come back with an indictment. Um, Durham is also asking about what role Chris Steele played. Um, but we know that uh, that we know what role he played. So mm-hmm. Durham, if you have any questions, you can ask us or ask Horowitz because he interviewed people close to Steele as part of his inspector general investigation and found him to be credible, honest and persistent. Trump, Barr and Durham seem to be approaching this thing as though it's already a fact that law enforcement and intel officials had plotted to thwart Mr. Trump's presidency. But this is so easy. They all knew that Trump was under investigation by the FBI. They could have just said so if they wanted to thwart his campaign. You know, if Strzok and Page really wanted the insurance policy of Mm -hmm. making sure Trump didn't win, all they had to do was tell the Washington Post he's under federal investigation for the FBI. Mm -hmm. Uh, for election meddling and holy shit he that would have could have tanked his election just like comey probably most likely tanked hillary's election by reopening her email investigation 11 days before the thing um but to but to sit there and say you know this was a coup yeah all they had to do was leak that tiny little piece of information but that they didn't that trump was under investigation and they did not so i don't even understand how you could think for a second that that they were out to get him when there it was right on a platter for the the easiest way to get him yeah they're gonna hate you in private bro everyone does <laughs> <laughs> and that has to be the ultimate finding right yeah. like 
Yeah. Hey, they didn't like you, but they didn't. They did they their job properly. They didn't call you out in public. Exactly. They yeah. didn't tattle on you. Exactly. Yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, we will be right back with more hot notes. It used to be if I wanted comfortable work attire, I'd have to sacrifice style. Or if I wanted stylish work attire, I would have to skimp on comfort. But now you can have all with the Dress Pant Yoga Pants by Beta Brand. They're super comfy, perfectly stretchy, and work appropriate. Whatever your style, Beta Brand has you covered. They have skinny leg, crop, straight leg, boot cut, six button pants, premium denim, and my favorite, the new eight pocket pants in dozens of colors and patterns. And they want your help turning up and coming designs into full-fledged products. Their crowdfunding platform gives you a voice in deciding tomorrow's fashion today. And anyone can join the community brainstorm that brings new beta brand styles to life you'll even get up to 30 percent off every time you fund a new design i have the crop straight leg and eight pocket pants in black i travel everywhere with them because they don't wrinkle and they're breathable and comfortable and the eight pocket pants allow me to leave my purse in the hotel room which is helpful when i'm traveling i used to buy my work clothes at the usual places and i'd always have to have them tailored and they would still pinch or the tag would drive me crazy i couldn't concentrate on my work and that's why i only wear beta brand desk yoga pants now You've got to try a pair of these pants from Beta Brand. Trust me, you will love them. And you can get 20% off at betabrand.com slash AG. Don't wait. See for yourself why millions of women agree these are the most comfortable dress pants ever. Go to betabrand.com slash AG for 20% off. That's B-E-T-A-B-R-A-N-D dot com slash AG. All right. Welcome back. Hot notes. Okay, since Jordan's on vacation, uh, I, I wrote up a couple of different little hot note things that I wanted to talk about today. And so, you know, you and I, Mandy, we can discuss these. But I wanted to discuss for a little bit the common thread that runs through the Mueller investigation, the Ukraine scandal, and, and the Turkish slaughter of the Kurds in Syria. And that common thread is Putin. It's Russia, right? And, we, and I, I really just want to make sure everyone sort of understands contextually how this is all coming together. Because as we know... Trump has two major goals with Putin, and that's to lift the sanctions imposed by Obama for the annexation of Crimea and the sanctions for stealing the 2016 elections. In the phone call between Trump and Zelensky and in the texts between Sundland Volcker and Bill Taylor, we know that Trump asked for investigations into Biden and for Ukraine to announce that it was investigating the Democrats for hacking the DNC with Ukraine servers in exchange for the sale of javelins and military aid. That's what Trump wanted, mm -hmm. uh, that the country depends on to keep Russia at bay. Uh, and we can even go back to the Manafort times, by the way, when um, all of a sudden uh, four investigations that were being cooperated on between Ukraine and Mueller were dropped on Manafort right before the sale of javelins. And so when we get this new phone call and Zelensky says, yeah, I'm ready to buy more javelins. And Trump says, OK, I have a favor to ask, though. Could you please, you know, investigate the, the you know, Burisma with Joe Biden mm -hmm. and also the 2016 election? So it's it that that javelin sale stuff is, is pretty crazy. And I think that's why the Office of Management and Budget are refusing to hand over documents. They're do not they're defying their subpoena. Uh, but by getting Ukraine to announce that investigation into the DNC, just that alone discredits the claims that Russia was the culprit. Uh, and it gives Trump a reason to lift the election hacking sanctions. He can say, ah, yeah, well, we have, uh, you know, several different uh, places looking into the claim that Russia is the one who hacked our elections. And that means that we don't know. And so therefore I can lift sanctions that were imposed. And to go a little bit further, forcing Zelensky and Ukraine into submission by trying to make them cut a deal with Putin would give him reason to lift the Crimea annexation sanctions, right? Because if there's no more... Right. There's a peace deal between Ukraine, Zelensky, yeah. and Putin, 
We don't need those. Those aren't necessary anymore. We don't need those Crimea mm-hmm. annexation sanctions. And that's the other group that well, he wants to lift. Yeah, part of the, uh, uh, forgive me, I can't remember who exactly said it, but um, er, er, one of the things about the communications between um, uh, one of Trump's people and Zelensky was saying, make sure he announced the, announces the investigation. That the, was the in the text that, messages. Exactly, the text mm-hmm. messages, right. Um, I wasn't sure exactly who'd sent it to him, but, um, but someone said to uh, Zelensky's administration, not only do you need to investigate it, but you have to announce that you're investigating it. Yep, the make, public has to know. And that was what they were saying, that in order to get a White House visit, that right. you would have to do that. Ex- right, exactly. And that's when Bill Taylor comes in and says, so wait, now we're holding White House meetings and military mm-hmm. aid? Yeah. The optics were more important than the actual investigation itself, because the investigation is going to amount to nothing. It's the optics of the investigation. It's to announce it. And mm-hmm. that that's exactly. the propaganda that, that uh, Asha Rangappa was talking yep. uh, with us uh, about. And, and that's exactly it. That just one little seed of doubt mm-hmm. uh, is good enough. Um, and, and we can probably look at the Giuliani... Um, Lev Parnas, Igor Fruman shenanigans as a continuation of Manafort's work because Manafort, like Giuliani, was paid using a super PAC to funnel foreign money and a federal judge ruled that Manafort had lied about that scheme. Manafort also lied about repeated discussions in meetings to support the Ukrainian peace plan, which is really just a cover for quid pro quo tied to election interference. Uh, And Marcy Wheeler contends uh, that if you don't follow Marcy Wheeler, you need to. She contends that parts of the Manafort investigation could still be ongoing. And what's really interesting is this week we learned that a business in the United Kingdom with ties to Deripaska was raided by our FBI. And we know Manafort is still in debt to Deripaska, who he promised polling data to and campaign updates to make whole his debt because he had some sort of failed $19 million telecom deal with Deripaska. Deripaska sued him twice, once in Georgia, once in the United States, for $19, $20 million. Then when Manafort got the job with Trump, those lawsuits went away. Well, now they're saying it looks like he still owes him $10 million. Oh, shit. And so that we could still have an ongoing investigation into that. Uh, With regard to Syria... Um, we'll move on to Syria now. When Trump announced the withdrawal of troops near the border uh, of Syria, northern northern border, uh, it expands the influence of Russia, mm-hmm. uh, for which Syria represents a foothold in the Middle East to Putin. Uh, it benefits Russia, Iran, and the Assad regime, and it undermines NATO and our allies at the same time. Uh, this position played out for all to see in a U.N. Security Council resolution vote to condemn Turkey's move into Syria, and the U.S. broke with our allies and NATO and voted with Putin to block that effort to condemn the invasion. Uh, these moves culminate in that historic photo Trump himself tweeted uh, with you know Nancy Pelosi standing up, uh, reprimanding him while senior officials, head of the Joint Chiefs, uh, all hang their heads in shame, sitting there looking really just dogged. And it was during that meeting that Pelosi said to Trump, with you, all roads lead to Putin. And and I think that this sort of, if we put everything together, yeah. Syria, Ukraine, Manafort, Mueller, it's, it's true, all roads with Trump lead to Putin, mm-hmm. that he really is trying his best to get those sanctions, those two sets of sanctions lifted, and get the Magnitsky Act turned over. Those are... Yeah. Putin's main goals, because that's what blocks him from becoming, the, you know, he's already the richest man in the world. Yeah. Even more rich. So. You're right. Yeah. All of these threads have a common, like it all has a commonality. It all leads back to Putin. Mm-hmm. And again, it just comes back to what, I mean, it's not just that they're, fr- it's not just that Trump wants to be friends with all of these, you know, dictators and um, authoritarians and et cetera. Um, but again, I think it's that they, 
that Russia has something on Trump. He has to. There's, yeah. there's he no have way. A choice. Yeah, because otherwise, why would why wouldn't Trump want to be in the position of ultimate power at all times if they didn't have anything on him? Yeah, he would be like, well, I can be the best one, but it's but it's obvious that he's kowtowing to Putin in so many ways, and so they absolutely must have something on him. Yeah, definitely, and and that's been said by a million KGB uh, people. Absolutely. Like, yeah, we have a whole file (laughs) on Trump going back to the 80s. And that brings us back to the Mueller investigation, Mm -hmm. which is currently being investigated by Bill Barr and Durham. We've talked about that. Who've been traveling the world, like you said, to make conspiracy theories stick about the origins of the investigation. Like I said, in Italy, trying to get them to say Mifsud worked for intelligence there and entrapped Papadopoulos. In Australia, where they're trying to discredit Alexander Downer. Uh, But every single court case has gone against Trump and the Department of Justice, including this week when a judge determined that some of the redactions in the Mueller report were improper. Um, I don't know if you've heard this story, but it's a big one. The, The Department of Justice redacted some things for grand jury reasons that were not related to the grand jury. Uh, when it redacted the names of two people that did not appear before the grand jury, but said it was for grand jury reasons. Uh, and, but they were witnesses to key events and were questioned by the FBI. So they have 302s on them. The DOJ justified redacting these names, saying that if they were public, people would be able to discern names of people that did testify before the grand jury. Uh, and, you know, using some kind of magical process of elimination. And when we went over this last week, Judge Beryl Howell had added, this is all the, for the case to get the grand jury materials that the Oversight Committee put in a while back. So Judge Beryl Howell had asked the Department of Justice why it hadn't produced the 302s requested by Congress from interviews in the Mueller probe. Department of Justice actually tried to convince the court that if it handed over all the 302s, 33 of them, and listed the two redacted names of people who did not just testify to the grand jury, Americans would be able to deduce who did speak to the grand jury, thereby violating the rules of grand jury secrecy. But the judge unraveled their dumbass math and denied their opposition to releasing the redactions and thereby have been ordered to the, they have, she has ordered the DOJ to provide the unredacted names uh, and the rest of the 302s. So Ooh. we should see that soon. If you're nerds about the report the way AG is, <laughs> it's like has beans on every single redacted line mm. in the entire report. <laughs> we were trying to figure out who the two names are. Some people think it's Comey and McCabe. Some mm. people think it's uh, Struck and Page. Some people think it's, uh, I mean, I, what are your beans? I, well, I, I have to look at it again, but I, I think that it could be uh, Dylan and Porter. Okay. Because two of the 302s that were handed over mm-hmm. are from Dylan and Porter. Uh, I, do not know if Dylan and Porter testified to the grand jury, though it would make sense that Porter did. Mm-hmm. But 75% of those are redacted of their 302s. So mm-hmm. I found that that to be very kind of, that's a lot of redactions. Yeah. But then it could also be, um, uh, some people say it could be Junior, but I think Junior testified to the grand jury. I think he's under one of the grand jury uh, testimony mm-hmm. black bars. Uh, could also be Kushner or Ivanka. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be, you have to think about, who has a 302 but was what not... What have those guys been up to recently? I feel like we haven't talked about old Kush and Ivanka in a while. They're probably laying low because their dad's unraveling. Just chilling. <laughs> um, he's going kind of crazy. But anyway, I just I think it's really interesting because I think it's it's somebody who has a 302. Right. And there's a list of people who have three, <clears throat> 302s that the Department of Justice has not handed over yet. And I don't know which I have to like f- eliminate which ones have testified that I know mm-hmm. have testified before the grand jury. But we just don't know because the grand jury is secret. That's what the DOJ was saying is yeah. AG will be able to find out, you know, uh, but the math doesn't add up. If, right, there were yeah. only, if there were everyone but two names left. If it was left, so obvious, you would know already. Yeah. Yeah. So 
I there are you it's just going to be guesses mm-hmm. uh, but and because they have handed over the the Dylan and Porter 302s uh, but they're just mm-hmm. 75% redacted and I, I feel like Porter would have testified to the grand jury for right. sure uh, because he had so much so when knowledge. does this come out uh, I don't know yeah. uh, we'll see it, she's see. ordered it uh, but this is like the first court order. They have to release some shit. No, it's not. But they've complied with all the other releases that they're supposed to do, except they've been slow walking this 302 process. Hmm. But she, that hasn't I, actually that hasn't been a court order, but she could rule on that very soon. Uh, all right. Are you ready for sabotage? I am. All right, so here's my sabotage. First of all, it's all Giuliani and Lev and Igor. Because Lev and Igor, their arraignment was pushed a week back. I don't know if that necessarily means that they're cutting a deal. Um, Parnas is still in custody. He hasn't met his bail conditions. Giuliani is definitely under investigation. He's a target in this investigation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how much more they have to do, but that lawyer, McKillian, uh, Ma- um, Kenneth McKillian, I think, he said that he was contacted about Giuliani and Levin Igor as early as February. So this investigation has been going on for a while, and it seems like it's about time that that could come out. And also about six months ago, uh, Adam Schiff made a federal criminal referral for Eric Prince to the Department of Justice. So I wanted to just bring that up again. Every, after about six months of criminal, after a criminal referral, I'd mm-hmm. be like, ah, uh, everybody, you know, keep it on the radar for your for your fantasy indictment draft. So it's on your Google Calendar, yeah, <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> it is. I do. I put in warnings. Whenever a criminal referral is made, I put a six-month bell. Hey, Siri, remind me in six months. (laughs) Um. (laughs) Yeah, Eric Prince was uh, referred, a criminal referral to the Department of Justice. But we do also have to keep in mind that Barr is at the Department of Justice and could be blocking these things. But with the Southern District of New York, now all of a sudden, I know that they shut down the Cohen investigation into the hush money payments, and I don't know if Barr did that. But they did indict um, Parnas and, and Fruman and Kukushkin and Korea, mm-hmm. and they are investigating Giuliani, and they did uh, uh, indict Hulkbank. And, and I don't know if the timing is interesting with this whole Ukraine thing coming out, but maybe Southern District of New York is like, we don't have to protect that MRF anymore, and we're just going to go ahead and indict when we know it's right to indict. Mm-hmm. We have a grand jury on our side. Go ahead and try to stop us. I don't know if that's really what's happening, but it feels like it. Um, so maybe Southern District of New York is back. We're back, baby. That, uh, one can a girl can dream. A girl can dream. Can she? <laughs> Come on, Cy Vance. So let's just think. I know. Well, he's he's New <laughs> York. Case, and yeah. I I hope they indict him. I just want a, I want an indictment out in New York before um, the impeachment trial happens. Did you see? Uh, speaking of the the debates the other day, did you see when um, uh, Kamala Harris was like, "The only reason you have not you're not in jail is because of that OLC memo." Yeah. Did you see? It was a yeah. personal favorite moment. Yeah. Uh, yep. Kamala. Mm. She's right. Yeah, she's totally right. But like, it, it was great to. It, it was and and again, like again, you know, Kamala, mm, not one of the top three candidates right now. She probably should drop out. However, if she, if she won, I would vote for her. I would love to see her as Attorney General. Totally. I, yeah. Again, like it, it. It was just. It was great to hear her say that so plainly. Mm. And bring Susan Rice back. She's she's killing it these days. Love her. Uh, all right. So let's play the Fantasy Indictment League. I'm gonna be indicted. No, it is gonna be a indicted. Honey, dick. Indicted! Honey. I'm gonna be indicted! Hold it, they can't. It's gonna be okay. Just calm down. I can't calm down. I'm gonna be indicted! All right, do you want to pick? I'm I'm the only... Should I just draft mine? Or do yeah, you, you just wanna... draft yours. Oh, you know what? I didn't prepare. Okay. Otherwise, I would have. But I'll, uh, I'll draft mine. We'll uh, do yours. I'll text Jordan. I'll get hers. Okay. And I'll post it in the groups. We know she wants Barrick. You're, uh, she absolutely wants okay. Barrick. Uh, I'm gonna go with uh, Giuliani. 
superseding Fruman mm-hmm. and a Parnas plea agreement, and then Nader and Pecker. Pecker. <laughs> selected um, Pecker. Yeah, and uh, I'm going to post this on Patreon, yep. our fantasy indictment, uh, fantasy indictment post later today, and also in our new Facebook group which is behind the beans. Yes. And it's for patrons only. And we have some awesome moderators and some really good community guidelines to keep everything on the up and up and respectful. And positive. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to play along with the Fantasy Indictment League, you can find that post on Patreon or in our behind the beans group. And if you cannot find that Facebook group, you can send me an email to Amanda at Muller. She wrote, because I know a couple of folks have had a hard time finding it, because apparently there is a coffee lovers group in Australia (laughs) called behind the beans. We should tell them. (laughs) Hey, we're also... Yeah, <laughs> um, but yeah, behind the beans. Look for our mug with mm-hmm. super space beans on yep. it. Um, that's that's the that's our uh, avatar. Is that what it's called still? Uh, it's our it's Icon. our group picture. Yeah, yeah. Group photo. Uh, we will be right back. Uh, stick around because right after this um, quick break, we're going to have the interview with uh, Jill Winebanks. And forgive the sound quality; we had to do it by cell phone because she was traveling. But I mean, it sounds great. You can hear her. It's not annoying. I promise. And, and she has some really really amazing things to say. So hang around for that. We'll be right back. Here's a great idea for a holiday gift. It's called Legacy Box. I got this from my mom last Christmas, and she absolutely flipped for it. Basically, I went through all of her old boxes of photos and photo negatives and old VHS tapes uh, at her house. I put it all into Legacy Box and sent it in, and what I got back were professionally digitized versions of everything on a thumb drive, and we got links to our home movies. Uh, I gave them to my mom, and we had such a great time going through our photos and watching all our old Christmas home movies that we haven't been able to watch since we all got rid of our VCRs. Uh, and, you know, those all went away, but now we can refresh those memories. Mom absolutely loved the family memories. It was the best gift. And now you can save your family films and photos from being degraded over time or being lost. Uh, you can be the family hero by bringing back and preserving the lost memories. It also helps you get organized by getting rid of all the old boxes and photo albums taking up room in the closet. Just send your legacy box filled with your old home movies and photos and they'll do the rest. They have easy-to-follow instructions and safety barcodes for each item, and you'll receive your original recorded moments back along with the digitized copies. There's never been a better time to digitally preserve your memories. Visit LegacyBox.com to get started. Plus, for a limited time, they're offering an exclusive discount to our listeners. Go to LegacyBox.com AG to get 40% off your first order. That's LegacyBox.com AG and save 40% today. Get started preserving your past. You'll be glad you did. Hello, and today for the interview, I'd like to welcome former Watergate prosecutor and MSNBC contributor Jill Wine-Banks. Jill, thanks for coming on Mueller, she wrote. Thank you for having me. I enjoy the podcast, and I'm very happy to be with you, and I look forward to seeing you again at Politicon. Yeah, we're going to have a good time. That's right. You're going to be on our panel, which is going to be on the 27th at 1 p.m. And we're looking forward to that. And I'm I'm so glad that you could join us today because your experience with the impeachment process is, I think, really going to help us understand some of the things we're seeing and hearing with the current impeachment inquiry and the frame. And in that framework of understanding, I want to ask you what your feelings are on Pelosi's plan to sort of limit the scope of impeachment to just Ukraine, like not thinking about emoluments or all the different abuses of power or everything, you know, everything that he's done before that. And I think I was wondering if you thought that was a good strategy. I think it's a good strategy for this very moment. I think that eventually when articles of impeachment uh, are voted, and I believe that they will be because the evidence in plain sight right now demands that there be articles of impeachment. And I think when that happens, that they will have to put 
this particular impeachable offense in the context of everything else. During Watergate, we used three articles of impeachment, and all of them apply in this case, and there are specifications under each one. So you have, for sure, contempt of Congress, which is a very serious thing because it interferes with our democratic process. It interferes with separation of powers and the checks and balances envisioned by the Constitution. So you have to include the contempt of Congress. And here it goes beyond what happened in Watergate. Here, in addition to trying to interfere with and being contemptuous of the impeachment inquiry and any other inquiry into crimes by the administration, they are interfering with and refusing to comply with subpoenas for ordinary routine oversight matters on things like immigration, the caging of children, other things that are normal in our process. So that would have to be one of the articles. The Mueller report spells out obstruction of justice, and you would have to be silly to not include those proven cases where the president himself intervened to prevent the investigation by Mueller. So that would be another one. And the abuse of power is so apparent. One example of which is using his power as president to shake down the Ukrainian president. So that is one example of abuse of power, but there are so many others, which would include, for example, the emoluments violation of announcing that the G7 would be held at his resort in Miami in June. That is another abuse of power. It's also a violation of conflict of interest rules. It's a violation of the contracting laws of the United States to have him who has inside knowledge have a contract. So I think that eventually it will all be put in context. And the phone call, of course, has to be in the context of what he assigned his personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, who using Russian-born assets did in Ukraine to try to uh, make up evidence that would hurt the findings of the entire intelligence community of the United States. They had been working for a long time. This wasn't the first time that Donald Trump tried to get a phony investigation going. That's what Rudy Giuliani and his colleagues were trying to do for a long time. And they were interfering in the normal State Department processes. They managed to get Ambassador Yovanovitch fired, removed from her office for no reason except that she stood up to their corruption and they wanted to be able to have their own way. So there's just, there is a lot going on, but let's just focus on what that telephone call is and what we know about it and leading up to it, which includes the, the removal of Ambassador Yovanovitch, but it also includes Ambassador Taylor, and I mean, all the people who've already testified and all the people who are about to testify. Yeah, and I think Bill Taylor's coming up uh, here this week, too, and I think he's going to be a really important witness in that. And um, I, I think that, you know, I was wondering why you think that, like, this Ukraine thing was the final, like, of all the stuff that he's done over the past three years, was it, is it Americans' uh, ability to easily understand the the crime here that maybe made this the straw that broke the camel's back? Um, it's so hard to understand I remember during the 
campaign, all the many times that I said, well, Donald Trump is finished, <laughs> I thought for sure grabbing pussy remark would have been the end of him. And it wasn't. It didn't even start the Me Too movement. That took Harvey Weinstein. Why Harvey Weinstein and not the president? I can't explain why the American people grabbed on to the Harvey Weinstein accusations and not to the 18 women who accused the president of sexual misconduct. Um, So it's hard to know why and whether this is just the tipping point. You know, you can bury stuff and bury stuff and bury stuff and keep ignoring all the wrongdoing until it gets to a point when you can't. It's, you know, it's been analogized to the boiling frog experiment. You put a frog in warm water and you start boiling it and it doesn't jump out. It just dies. And so maybe that's the problem is that, you know, it just was happening gradually, gradually, gradually. Um, So I can't explain it. But um, I, I think we have hit the point. And then there was one additional that has turned the Republicans in the Congress against the president. And that was what he did in caving into President Erdogan of Turkey and withdrawing our troops and giving the green light for attacking the Kurds and committing genocide. And now, of course, he's trying to say, let's make a deal um, and that there was nothing wrong with doing that, and I, I'm going to punish the Turks for invading. Um, but he's the one who gave them the permission to do it. You can't put the toothpaste back in the tube after you give the green light for an invasion. And now he's trying to send, you know, to stop it, and he claims victory in having a ceasefire. Uh, but anybody who's there, all the reporters who are covering it, are showing the continual attack and bombing. <clears throat> Yeah, that ceasefire isn't working. Um, (laughs) And I really think that it was just kind of a ploy to get um, uh, the Kurds to stop fighting for a minute so that they could continue to invade. But, you know, I I, I do understand your point that it could just be a tipping point. Some things are tipping points for Republicans where some things are tipping points for like you and I. But something I've also noticed from the GOP are there criticisms about the impeachment process, including Kevin McCarthy, who recently said the inquiry should be suspended until the same due process rights that were given to Nixon and Clinton are given to Trump? Are they confusing what an investigation is versus what a trial is? They are completely confused. They are deliberately misleading, in addition. Um, So I guess confused isn't the word I would use. I would make it more of a deliberate obfuscation of reality. During both the Nixon impeachment and the Clinton impeachment, this is the process that was used. In fact, during any criminal investigation, this is the process that's used. The House is the equivalent of a grand jury. The grand jury sits in secret to gather evidence that is not shared with the potential defendant, or in this case, the president, until articles of impeachment in this case or an indictment in a criminal case happen. Once the articles of impeachment are uh, revealed, then the defendant or the president gets to rebut that evidence, present their own evidence, and see all the incriminating evidence that is against him. During the investigation, number one, where the president has already threatened the whistleblower, for example, and you know that he will fire anybody who cooperates, 
you need to protect those people. That's why you do things in secret. You also don't want people trying to um, coordinate their statements by knowing what the other person said. If you're testifying in secret, then nobody can do that unless they go outside the system, which is actually did happen in Watergate where they collaborated on, I'll say this, you say this, so that they would have the same version of um, defense, let's say. It didn't work because we had so much evidence that showed the truth, which was opposite of what they were saying. But that's why in a normal grand jury situation, you don't want witness one to know what witness two said because you want witness one to testify from their own best memory. And if it happens to be the same, well then either they um, are telling the truth, both of them, or they pre-agreed to say that. So this is the normal routine way of proceeding. There is nothing wrong with it. It is completely appropriate and proper. Yeah, and I remember too that uh, even during the, when they were questioning Mueller uh, in, in Congress, that there were Republicans, I specifically remember the Republican from Wisconsin actually trying to say that the grand jury is, you know, wasn't fair because they didn't allow cross examinations and things that come up in a trial and don't come up in an investigation. So I think it's just an interesting talking point they keep trying to push to maybe cloud the legitimacy of, of, of the of the process. Well, unfortunately, obfuscation and delay and diversion are what they have because the facts and the law are against them. So they have to try to get you off the facts and off the law. And the problem is there is a certain group of people who follow um, McCarthy, the president, who follow Fox News, who will only hear this is an unfair process. He's being denied his due process rights. They aren't going to hear the truth, which is this is the same process that was used for Democratic President Bill Clinton, the same process that was used for Richard Nixon. They won't know the facts. They will believe the phony baloney that's being put out by the Republicans. And that is the danger, is that you have this ridiculous nonsense being spewed that will be believed and it won't be rebutted did you have this uh during watergate was there a group of nixon supporters hardcore nixon supporters that were obfuscating the facts and and coming out with this whole sort of counter narrative yes and there was the same there was same accusations of it's a witch hunt uh that's not invented by donald trump but yes i mean we had witnesses now during watergate i think we have to go back the Senate started investigating what had happened and what laws needed to be changed so that we could prevent it from happening again. That was at the same time as we were appointed, the Senate started having the Senate hearings under Senator Irvin. And it wasn't until much later that the House Judiciary Committee got involved. That was after... um, After the, well, I'm not exactly sure the date they first started, but it really revved up in March. We, the prosecution, got permission from the courts to turn over a roadmap of our evidence so that they didn't have to reinvent things. They were able to take our roadmap of evidence. We gave them transcripts of tape recordings. We gave them the tapes themselves. We gave them a list of areas that they should be looking at. And... They did that. 
and that's how it proceeded from there. During Watergate, of course, the cover-up was the big thing, and the cover-up included a distinct plan to commit perjury and to suborn perjury, to get other people to commit perjury. That's what suborning perjury is, is saying to somebody else, oh, you could always say, I don't remember, I don't recall, when in fact you really do. That's perjury when you do that, and telling someone to say, I don't recall, is suborning perjury. And so you had, for example, during the Senate hearings, you had John Dean testifying very brilliantly and correctly, and then you had Haldeman denying everything he said. Haldeman was the chief of staff. You had Ehrlichman, who was the chief domestic advisor, denying everything. You had Mitchell, who was the attorney general, denying everything. And all of those went to jail for their lives because they were denying it. But in the beginning, during the first part of the hearing, if you had taken a vote, the American people were giving the benefit of the doubt to the president. They believed Haldeman, Ehrlichman, and Mitchell. They did not believe John Dean. But then we got the tapes. We found out from Alexander Butterfield there was a taping system. We subpoenaed tapes. We got them. And they corroborated everything that John Dean said, proving that everything contrary to that was a lie. And that was a significant turning point. And here you have the same sort of smoking gun evidence because you have, for example, all the denials that anything wrong happened in the conversation with Zelensky and Trump, and then you read what the transcript is. I was on a radio show where a caller who is a Trump supporter accused me of misrepresenting when I was reading from the phone call itself. I was reading what the president released as the truth. It said, I need a favor, though. That's not a lie. That's not a misrepresentation. That's what he said. Now, you might be able to argue that it isn't really asking for something that he's not entitled to and pressuring the Ukrainian president. But I would argue that you cannot interpret it any other way. So the bottom line is, yes, we had the same thing in Watergate, and it was overcome by the facts, by the truth, and by tape recordings. And here, although so far we don't know of a tape recording of this call, we had a transcript or as close to a transcript as we could possibly get. And so let's just go with that. And again, that goes back to why Nancy Pelosi is focusing in on something that is clear and simple and easy and not rebuttable by any facts that they're trying to put out. Yeah, well, I guess that must have been the, the straw that broke the back then was when Trump himself released the, the you know, memo of the transcript of, of the call, which is the equivalent of the Nixon tapes. <laughs> exactly. And remember, the, the worst tape was pre-released by the White House, um, and that's the June 23rd, what's known as the smoking gun tape, in which the president and Haldeman are discussing using the CIA to stop the FBI on a false claim of national security, saying they didn't want them following the money. And the reason they didn't is because the $100 bills that were found on the burglars when they were arrested inside the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Watergate, were easily traceable to a campaign check that had been deposited to one of the burglars' bank accounts in Florida. And that would have shown on the day of the arrest that the committee to reelect the president had paid the burglars and was behind the burglary. 
And that would have eliminated any possible argument that the White House was making that this was a third-rate burglary. And by the way, does that sound familiar, the president calling Nancy Pelosi a third-rate politician? This was called a third-rate burglary by the White House. And that would have eliminated that. They claimed the burglars were off on a lark of their own and had nothing to do with them. When, in fact, one of the burglars was the security chief of the committee to reelect the president. And it turned out that people who worked in the White House and worked for the campaign were all part of the planning of this. Howard Hunt and Gordon Liddy specifically, but the attorney general also. Um, And I think we're going to find out similar things about all of the similar type people in the Trump administration. So it is very similar. Yeah, wow, there's just so many parallels. We could we could go on forever, but I do got to let you go. I know you've got other things coming up, and we're looking forward to seeing you uh, at Politicon next weekend. I look forward to seeing you in person. It'll be a pleasure. All right, everybody, uh, former Watergate prosecutor and MSNBC contributor extraordinaire Jill Weinbanks. Thanks again so much, Jill, for joining us. Thank you. All right. Welcome back. Thank you guys so much. And thanks to Jill Weinbanks. I can't wait to, to see her at Politicon. And I can't wait to see yeah. you guys at Politicon. Yeah, I'm so excited. It's going to be fun. First time I, in Nashville. There's a bunch of, you know, right wing douchebags there, but mm-hmm. you can ignore them and, and hang out with the rad people. We should have like a Mueller con at some point where it's just awesome people. <sighs> but yeah, apparently we're going to be in the same building with like Tommy Lauren and Sean Hannity. Yeah, but we're also going to be this. And, and Comey will be there too. Yeah. And probably Chris Christie. But then, you know, you get awesome people like Maya Wiley. <laughs> Let's meet at the Comey. There he yeah. is. Yeah. Eight feet tall. Meet at the Comey. Meet me at the Comey. Apparently he's just doing one event and then running away. Um, I thought he was supposed to be coming out and doing all this stuff to like try to help us. But um, not us, I guess. Just whatever panel he's going to be on. I'll go. I'll go see it probably just so I can... Y'all questions, maybe? No, I don't want to get kicked out. <laughs> uh, but it's going to be, it's going it's always fun. It's always mm-hmm. a good time. You gravitate toward, towards the people that are awesome. Uh, and then again, Boston, um, yeah. November 7th. And Should that's be great. our last show for the year. So, mm-hmm. or our last live show for the year. Yes. We will still be doing the uh, things from airplane bathrooms as necessary. <laughs> um, so, you know, stick around for that. Any final thoughts? No, it was a, a great, thanks for having me on the show today. Yeah, thank you. Mr. Redden will be back tomorrow on the beans. Yep. Mm-hmm. She will. And we do really appreciate uh, all of you for listening. Mm-hmm. And thanks to our patrons and thanks to everyone. And, and seriously, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I've been AG. I've been Mandy Reader. And this is Muller She Wrote. Muller She Wrote is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn with engineering and editing by Mackenzie Mazel and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, production and social media direction is by Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by A.G., Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder, and our knowledgeable listeners. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios, and our website is MullerSheWrote.com. M-S-W Media.